This is Commerce Code, a Friday morning digital commerce podcast for leaders in retail, technology, banking, payments, financial data, and cutting edge marketing. I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance. We'll start with this week's news in digital commerce. investors didn't change their opinions this week about the outlook for retailers, the S&P Retailer Select Index was unchanged from last week, down about a third from its January 1 mark and 40% off its all-time high in November of last year. Financial stocks dropped slightly this week as the S&P 500 Financial Sector Index was down from last week, now 22% lower than its January 1 mark, which was also close to its all-time high. Investors' assessment of the broader economy got a little better this week, however, as the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose slightly, leaving it 15% lower than its January 1st valuation. The S&P 500 was level this week, still 20% down from January 1st. Fintech stocks were level from recent weeks with the Index Global Fintech thematic index still trading a 40% discount to its January 1st price and 48% off its high mark in September 2021. Bitcoin traded as low as $18,000 as of Thursday, 58% off its January 1st mark of $47,000, and 66% off of its high mark of $64,400 in November 2021. U.S. home prices were 20.4% higher in April 2022 than one year ago, according to the latest S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller National Home Price Index data released Tuesday. That's down slightly from March, and it seems the housing market is shifting fast. According to the Mortgage Bankers Association, mortgage demand hit its lowest point in 22 years this month. In other evidence that consumers are responding to inflation by putting on the brakes, the U.S. Commerce Department revised its first quarter consumer spending estimate downward from 3.1% year-over-year growth to 1.8% growth. Employment remains robust as millions of jobs remain unfilled and unemployment is at record low levels. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reported this week a national unemployment rate of 3.4%, with some major cities seeing unemployment as low as 1.6%. The national unemployment rate in Canada fell to 5.1% in May, and in the U.K. it stood at 3.7%. In both countries, unemployment is close to its lowest recorded levels. In this edition of Commerce Code, inflation and the consumer in 2022. Twenty-three million Californians will soon receive inflation relief checks of up to $1,050 under a state budget deal reached on Sunday. The average price of gasoline in California this week was $6.23. Flowing from the price of gas, consumer interest in electric vehicles has hit a global tipping point, according to Ernest & Young this week. 52% of car buyers worldwide want their next car to be an EV, up from 30% two years ago, and 88% say that they would be willing to pay more for an EV than a gas vehicle. Of the 18 nationalities surveyed by ENY, Italians are most enthusiastic about EVs, with 73% of Italians planning to buy one as their next vehicle. China was next at 69%, followed closely by South Korea at 63%. 
Australians and Americans were least likely to be drinking the electric vehicle flavor aid. 38% of Australians and just 29% of Americans plan to get an EV the next time they go to the dealership. How does consumer sentiment stack up with current consumer behavior? According to S&P Global Mobility, EVs accounted for 4.6% of new car registrations in the U.S. in Q1 of 2022, a record high, up from 2.4% one year ago. Tesla has over 70% of the U.S. market, and there are nearly 1.5 million electric vehicles on American roads. That's a lot, but it's still just half a percent of all vehicles in the U.S. Government policies surely explain some of the variation here. The EU has said it will ban the sale of gas vehicles by 2035, and China is subsidizing EVs to help hit its target of 40% electric new vehicle sales by 2030. The OECD's Global Consumer Confidence Index stood at 97.3 in April, its second lowest point since the index was created in 1975, and slightly lower than its bottom point during the pandemic. The index is set to 100, with values over 100 reflecting a positive consumer outlook and values below 100 showing a negative consumer outlook for their economic futures. The only lower point for the index was in March of 2009. The measure suggests less consumer consumption, according to the OECD. On the other hand, neither the OECD nor the World Bank are projecting a recession for most major economies. As reported by Axios, Kaylin Birch, a global economist at the Economist Intelligence Unit, noted that weaker consumer sentiment will translate to lower spending, though we don't expect to see a collapse in consumer spending along the same lines as the one we've seen in consumer confidence measures, which always tend to be more exaggerated than actual consumption. Today on the show, we're taking a dive into consumers and inflation. I spent the week talking to leaders in the world of digital commerce. That's my job. And as you can imagine, there was a pretty consistent theme to those conversations. How are consumers adjusting to inflation? And how should we adjust our plan for the back half of 2022 in anticipation of what's happening and what's coming? If consumers are shifting from durables to consumables, which they are, at least right now, how should we adjust our offers? Are there things we can do to support them? Are there steps we can take to protect our businesses? If defaults are rising, and they are, how can we respond to that in a constructive way? If consumer expectations for near-term economic prospects are falling, what does that mean for the look and feel of our media, our advertisements, or our engagement with cutting-edge technologies? There's really no way to know how the world will respond to this inflation spike. The last time inflation was this high was the period from 1973 to 1982, when the annual inflation rate in the U.S. twice ramped up from a low of 6% to a high of over 10%, with the annual U.S. inflation rate in 1980 topping out at 13.55%, according to figures from the World Bank. Since then, central banks appeared to have inflation-fighting under control, to such a degree that some people, like me, for instance, figured it was a problem that had, for practical purposes, been solved. Milton Friedman's insights about the monetary roots of inflation have been digested and considered and modified and applied to everyone's benefit. Well, it apparently wasn't that simple. We're about to find out how complicated, maybe, it actually is. But I don't want to talk about monetary and fiscal policy. I want us to talk here about the consumer's situation in 2022. 
and how leaders in retail technology and finance are going to respond. When we think about organizational leadership, just to start with that, we have a clear experience deficit here because pretty much nobody has done this before. If you were old enough to be in the workforce in 1980, so let's just say you were 20, that makes you 62 today. And if you weren't considering retirement before, the current economy might have you dreaming of drinking Mai Tais on a beach somewhere while your former colleagues figure it all out. And honestly, today's 62-year-old wasn't running a business during the last inflationary period. At most, she or he was a very young employee somewhere. The people making management decisions in 1980, so let's say they were at least 40, are now at least 82. I sincerely hope they're on the beach sipping a Mai Tai somewhere because 82 is definitely too old to be dealing with this crap. What the rest of us have is book learning, and that can be pretty good stuff. I won't recite Econ 101 doctrine on how consumers react to inflation, but I do want to unpack a little of how the consumer situation in the current inflationary environment compares to what we know about 1980. I'll do that by making reference to a site called Full Stack Economics with a post this Wednesday they did called 24 Charts That Show We're Mostly Living Better Than Our Parents. And another excellent piece they did in January titled 18 Charts That Explain the American Economy. And no, I don't know the folks at Full Stack Economics. I just appreciate their work. So let me make two basic points. I want to start with savings and then I'll turn to spending. Savings. If we start with what Full Stack Economics calls the American savings spree. First, Americans spend a lot. From 1960 to the mid-1980s, Americans saved between 10 and 15% of their disposable incomes. Starting in the 1980s, Americans each year spent a little more and saved a little less until in 2005, personal savings as a percentage of personal disposable income hit 2.9%. From that moment, when people were generally spending 97.1% of their disposable income, savings began to rise generally to around 7% in the 2010s, but never really getting above 10% after that. For the record, the household and personal savings rates in other countries like Japan and Canada show pretty similar trends with their own idiosyncrasies, of course, so the U.S. wasn't alone here. Anyway, in mid-2020, the U.S. personal savings rate spiked to 25%, the highest level on record, at least in the United States. Consumers held their wallets while everyone held their breath, and at the same time, The government sent everyone checks, suspended payment on the government's portfolio of $1.5 trillion in student loans, kicked tax day down the road, and made it rather difficult in most places to spend money on restaurants and the like, and for perfectly good reasons. I know you know this, since nearly everyone in the world experienced something like it. But at the same time, the savings rate has now dropped back to its usual 07 or so percent. More on that in a minute. But what about 1980? The St. Louis Fed has a helpful infographic showing the personal saving rate from January 1959 to the present with an overlay that shows when recessions were happening. A few things are easy to see. First, as I mentioned, consumers just saved more back then. And I think we all know that there just wasn't the access to credit at the time. So you really needed to buffer against future shocks. That moved from saving between 10 and 15% of income to saving between 5 and 10%. And that move really started in the mid-80s after that recession of 80 to 82. In 1980, at the peak of inflation, people were saving about 10 or 11%. The other thing you can see pretty clearly is that consumers do overall react to recessions by increasing their savings. Every U.S. recession saw some kind of uptick in savings, though the way that it happened and when it happened exactly was a little different each time. The recessions of 1980 and 81 to 82 both saw upticks in personal saving rate 
The end of the recession in 1982 saw the start of that long drop in the saving rate or increase in spending. In spending terms, consumers spent 89% of their disposable incomes in 1982, and in the decades to follow, it was more like 93%, and sometimes, as I've said, as high as 97. So as we talk recession, we might expect consumers to save more, even anticipation of the possibility. The St. Louis Fed's numbers right now show that personal saving rate is very low. May 2022 was actually 5.4%, down from last year when it was pretty volatile, but closer to historical norms at 7 to 10%. It wouldn't be at all surprising if consumers saved twice as much, so maybe 10, maybe 11% in 2023, if they're reacting to the idea or, I hope not, but the reality of a recession. So that's a little bit on savings and the consumer mindset onto spending for just a minute. First off, we all know that stuff is cheaper than ever and services are more expensive than ever. This point is just fundamental to economics and commerce across the last 50 years, but it's still helpful to see it illustrated and full stack economics has some great graphics that help you really wrap your head around it and the position of the consumer. This matters for everyone in digital commerce because it helps us to get that empathy for what consumers are experiencing, what they're feeling and thinking what their options are, and therefore what they might want to do next. The post at Full Stack Economics this Wednesday is called 24 Charts That Show We're Mostly Living Better Than Our Parents. And I'm not going to talk about all 24 charts unless you buy me a beer. Actually, okay, buy me a case. We'll do all 24. It will take definitely more than a day. It will be fun. But for now, I'm not drinking beer at all. I regret to report. I'll solve that soon. I am, however, going to talk about two different charts. The first is chart number three, which shows the drop in price for comparable products from 1980 to 2022. The biggest drop is for a 25-inch color TV, which fell 94% in price. Of course, that's if you can even find a TV that small these days. I just pulled out a ruler to try to sort of measure my computer screen. Rulers are only 12 inches long. It was a mess. You get it. I think my computer screen is 27 inches. So you figure, okay, electronics are really cheap. And the TV monitor business has been a zero or even negative margin game for over a decade. But how about basics? Like strollers, down 72%. Hammers, down 63%. Or car batteries, down 49%. The punchline for full stack economics is made clear when they translate the cost of stuff into hours worked at typical wages. It took 1.4 hours of work at a typical worker's wage to buy a hammer from the Sears catalog in 1980. To buy an equivalent product from Amazon today takes a typical consumer 30 minutes of work. Comparing now to 2002 for consistency of data, the trend is visible even for something as expensive as a car. A Honda Accord is 15% cheaper, a Toyota Corolla is 13% cheaper, a Ford Explorer is 10% cheaper. Interestingly, a Ford F-150 lists at 12% less than in 2002 in adjusted wages, but since people absolutely love to trick them out as much as possible, the average transaction value is 28% higher for a Ford F-150 than it was 20 years ago. To oversimplify for purposes of illustration, we're saving money on TVs and strollers and hammers and other things, and we're plowing that money into ventilated seats for our Ford F-150s. But in the next six to 12 months, to connect the dots from my first point, we might decide to live with unventilated seats, heaven forfend, and save a little extra money, pushing up the personal saving rate. There are real implications for anyone running a business today, 
And there's more than I have time to unpack on this particular episode of Commerce Code. But if I've caught your attention with some of this, I hope you'll head over to Full Stack Economics and just play with some of the charts as you contemplate the kinds of decisions consumers will be making the world over in the next year. There's a breakdown by category of where we spend our money between durables, consumables, services, medical care, childcare, tuition, and more. These are the Lego bricks people use to make their lives. Trading these things off will occupy consumers' minds in the coming year. And I have to add something from my personal portfolio. Student debt is still hanging out there in the United States. A 1.5 trillion liability of the U.S. government suspended during COVID. The administration hasn't said when payments will begin again. It's hard to imagine the administration will restart payments for millions of disproportionately young borrowers. I mean, voters before the midterm elections, but perhaps early in 2023. But even then, really? There's never a good time to turn those kinds of payments back on. And I mean, they've never been turned off before. But if and when it happens, it will cost Americans as much as all of their car payments combined on average every month and every year. That is a really non-trivial impact on the psychology and the reality of the American consumer. If you find this kind of stuff interesting, I have to recommend a related book by a guy named Hans Rosling. It's called Factfulness, 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think. It's the same kind of stuff with an even longer lens, often looking back as much as 50 or 100 years to understand how things are better and so, so different than they used to be. Those differences are in many ways the foundations for some big decisions we'll all be making in digital commerce in 2022 and 2023. Commerce Code is a weekly podcast of the Digital Commerce Alliance, the premier trade association advancing the future of commerce. Check out our website at digcomall.org. Help us grow Commerce Code by sharing it with your colleagues and old friends from business school and rate Commerce Code on your podcast app. We'd love your feedback and topic ideas. Just drop Dan Carell an email. You can reach him at dan at digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great Friday and a great weekend.